politics, clear and simple, with your host, Dr. Greg Robert Rabidou. Rabbit Rabidou! <laughs> I, I did assist. I, I suggested that we should have people in China at the outset of this event. And when it all started in Luhan province. And then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that? The Trump team cannot wait until the televised debate between their guy, incumbent President Donald Trump, and the Democratic presumptive nominee, Joe Biden. This, they say, will change everything. Forget the low polls. Forget the low ratings. Forget the favorability advantage Biden apparently has. Forget it, they say. Televised debates will change everything. Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news today, but it will not matter. In just a moment, I'm going to give you five big advantages that Joe Biden has over President Trump from these televised debates that no one's talking about. And I'm going to look back briefly at five previous televised debates. Taken together, they spell trouble for President Trump. And I'm going to tell you and explain briefly why the televised debates will not matter. Sorry, Gop. So again, the Trump team is putting all its chips on these televised debates. All I hear every day in the sort of the more conservative media is, just wait, just you wait until those debates, they'll change everything. Our guy will just eviscerate Biden. He can't put two words, coherent words together. He can't string sentences together. The man's feeble. Of course, they're talking about Joe Biden. But it won't matter. And here's why. First of all, we got to start with the premise, do televised debates matter in terms of changing people's minds about who they're going to vote for or against? In some cases, they can, slightly. They can change people's votes mostly when one of the candidates is an unknown commodity versus the other. So, for instance, in 1988, we had a situation where we had Mike Dukakis, who was governor of Massachusetts, Greek-American, success story, really, son of immigrants, came to the U.S., smart guy, put himself through school, got involved in politics, became very successful governor of Massachusetts, rose through the ranks of the party, won his party's nomination. He's going against George H.W. Bush, sort of the, the polar opposite, right? Bush family, the Bush dynasty, here forever money, politics, Texas oil, well-known commodity, and they have a televised debate. Now, a lot of folks, a number of folks that still hadn't decided and were still on the fence, really didn't know much about Dukakis. He was known as, in political world, as a smart guy, a technocrat, somewhat of a, of a cold guy emotionally, not, not fiery, certainly. And one of the questions in the televised debate was really a loaded question against the guy. It went along the range of this. If your wife, Kitty, the commentator asked Governor Dukakis, was raped and murdered, would you support the death penalty? Well, look, my goodness, what a... uh, what a biased question, right? What an unfair question in so many ways. But it wasn't so much what Governor Dukakis said, it was how he said it. So he went into somewhat of a 
some cold sort of textbook discussion about death penalty and why the Constitution allows it, the federal level, and the constitutionality supporting or underpinning death penalty versus not death penalty. By the time he finished, look, by the time he finished, basically the audience came away thinking, holy moly, this guy is a cold fish. He can't even get worked up if his wife gets raped and murdered. So it had some effect with people that were on the fence, didn't know about Mike Dukakis, and this was really their first impression of the guy. And that was an impression that was locked in from that moment until, of course, election. In 1992, you had George H.W., still the senior, against Clinton. Both were known commodities. Clinton somewhat less so, but both were relatively known commodities, certainly Bush the, as the incumbent. And it wasn't a big deal uh, what George H.W. did. At one point during a debate, he checked his watch. Well, it's not a huge deal, is it? President checks his watch, maybe has some major appointment to go to. Who knows what's going on? But the image, the impression was, this guy's bored. I guess he thinks he has better things to do than to debate over whether he truly wants us to vote for him and should vote for him and whether he really is going to want to earn our vote to become uh, president for a second term. And so that hurt him. But again, it was blown up in the media, but it really didn't hurt him much in the election in the manner of the, the theme of that election. It's the economy stupid and the Clinton team had already painted Bush into a corner in terms of the economy and had taken at one point a 78, 80% approval rating for George H.W. Bush because of the Gulf War. And they had moved away from that and made the election about the economy. So the fact he checked his watch, it was blown up in the media and it was hyped, but honestly didn't move a whole lot of hearts and minds. In 2000, you had this time George W. Bush against Al Gore. Again, both pretty much known commodities. Uh, Al Gore wore a whole lot of pancake makeup for the televised debate. He kind of came off looking somewhat orange. And at one point, it looked like, it looked like he tried to intimidate the physically smaller George W. Bush. He kind of hovered around him. At one point, even George W. Bush kind of shrugged and looked back and almost as if he, he was startled by the fact that Al Gore was so physically close to him, and what was he doing back there? It was not a major moment. It was just one of those images that seemed to reinforce some negatives about Al Gore in terms of just how he came across to some people that might have been on the fence and just didn't seem to personally like Al Gore. And they seemed to like George W. Bush. Okay? So... It's not always, in fact, a lot of times, it's not about the complexity of the policy. It's just about the likability factor, the human factor. Can you relate? Can you not relate? And of course, the granddaddy of them all, the recent televised debate between and the Democratic par, uh, primary when uh, Mike Bloomberg, who had been just dominating the airwaves with hundreds of 
of millions of dollars of TV ads, developing a certain brand, a certain image about himself. He came in late, he avoided primary contests, and so the knives were already sharpened on the primary side, and the assassin of that night was Elizabeth Warren. And she went after him about non-disclosure agreements, about why he entered the race late, about stop and frisk in New York City, about virtually everything. And look, Mike Bloomberg was known as, again, a good technocrat, a business guy, a billionaire business guy who ran New York City pretty darn efficiently for the most part. But a debater, a charismatic guy, he is not. And it showed. He did awful. He looked stunned. He looked like a, a deer in the headlights. And so all that image building, all that brand building, I mean, it literally went down in a few seconds. But he was not a known commodity to lots of folks outside of New York City. So the point, the point is the televised debate meant a lot to him because this was really the first time people would see Mike Bloomberg in person, live and somewhat unscripted and not just in a TV ad. And he failed the test. And not surprisingly, they tried to put some spin on it, and, but he was out of the race pretty shortly after that moment. So those are five brief examples of past televised debates where it mattered to some degree, some of these images, but it matters the most when the candidate, if there's some dramatic event or some flub or some failure, is an unknown commodity, okay? So we move forward. What are the five big advantages Joe Biden has? Well, number one is he's a known commodity. He's not an unknown commodity. So he has a reservoir, especially to his base, to his supporters, of over 45 years of being in politics. So if he flubs, if he makes a mistake, if he says or does something somewhat silly or stupid or nonsensical, it's not going to mean the end of the world for him, politically. Because this is not the first time virtually anyone has seen of or heard of Joe Biden. So he's a lot more cushion and he has a lot more margin of error than, say, a Mike Dukakis ever had. Number two, he has a friendly media. He has an incredibly friendly media base for him. I mean, look, Democrats and liberals can argue about this and they can say, no, no, this is awful. It's not true. Come on. Look at the types of questions on those rare moments when Joe Biden and his team allows media access and the press to ask questions of him and the types of questions he gets. They're softball questions. They're fluff questions. They're loving questions. And sharply, smartly, the Biden team refuses so far to unleash the media or open their guy, Joe Biden, to an unfriendly media. The best example right now is President Trump sat down for a half hour, 45 minutes outside in the heat, not sure why they did that, sweating with Chris Wallace, who went after him on a number of subjects. And the Biden team refuses to sit down with Chris Wallace. And it's a smart move. It's a cynical move. It's not fair to voters. We should be able to see both live in action and get grilled by tough questions. But why would they do it? Biden's winning. He has favorability. He has likability approval ratings. The trend of polls, I did this in a previous podcast. I looked at over 250 polls in the last six months. The trend is clear. 
Biden is winning, and he's winning anywhere from high 8, 9 percentage points to 12, 14 percentage points over, over Trump across the board, with very few exceptions on issues. Why would you expose him? Why would you risk that? Unless you absolutely had to. Number three. Number three is debate format. It's not really a debate. It's not really this uh, bare knuckles, no holds barred, go after each other debate. And it hasn't been for years because neither party, with few exceptions, ever really wants that. They have too much money invested in their candidate. They have too much money invested in brand. Look what happened to Bloomberg. Bloomberg wishes the debate would have even been more restrictive. But I mean, come on. He must have known. He should have known what was gonna, he was going to face. He just wasn't prepared. He wasn't nimble at all. But it's not really a debate. We're not talking about Lincoln-Douglas debates that go on for hours, even days, in front of an unruly, hostile crowd. This is very friendly, restricted, I'll call it debate, but it's more of like a scripted time for you to give a few talking points on issues. And Joe Biden is a seasoned politician of over 45 years with experience. Guys, he could do this, my friends, he could do this in his sleep. He could do this in his sleep with this kind of a format. Fourth big advantage. Mail-in ballots. By the time the first televised debate happens, it looks like it's going to be early September. A number of states will already have done their ballots they will have already done massive amount of absentee ballots. Even if they don't go to a universal mail-in ballot because of the pandemic, a number of voters will already have been able to vote. The televised debate will matter even less. So if you look at Joe Biden being a known commodity, number one. Number two, a friendly media. Number three, the debate format itself. Number four, mail-in ballots which has to go with the timing of the debate. And number five, the fact that ironically, the Trump team in their desire and their zeal to attack Biden as this feeble, babbling, senile, dementia-dominated candidate who's just not fit to be president, they have ironically lowered the bar tremendously for Joe Biden. George W. Bush team did this against Al Gore. They figured Al Gore was a smart guy. He was sharp. He was going to come after George W. Bush. George W. Bush was notorious for having a mangled syntax, not really being a skilled debater. They lowered the bar in the weeks leading up to the televised debate so much that, my goodness, all George W. Bush seemingly had to do was come out and be able to stand up straight for most of the time. And he probably would have come across as at least a tie or a draw against Al Gore. And that's what happened. Al Gore barely laid a glove on him. George W. Bush didn't do anything incredibly dramatic. He didn't do anything superlative. He just managed to stay on his feet. Joe Biden, because the bar has been lowered so much by Trump team and media pundits, conservative media pundits, that Biden pretty much only has to come out and seemingly be awake for most of the televised debate, and it will be a draw. He will remember a few scripted lines, a few talking points, 
he will tell a few homespun, folksy stories, anecdotes that may or may not make any sense. It won't matter. He just has to come across as seemingly being somewhat there. He's a known commodity. Now, if disaster befalls the Biden team and Joe Biden during the televised debate, and he literally seems completely incoherent, incapacitated, unfit, I guarantee to you that his team will already have plan B. They'll already have the spin doctors ready. And they will already talk about how well he took some prescription um, pills, he took some cold pills, he was suffering, and it seemed to have an adverse effect, and he's fine. I guarantee to you, they'll do that. And a number of people will go, yeah, that makes sense. The guy will be 78 years old if he's elected Biden. He will be the oldest president on the time, on the day he takes inauguration. He has had two brain aneurysms, friends, during his lifetime. Two brain aneurysms. So anything that happens, the hard political reality of it is that his team will talk about just his physical ability is not necessarily impaired permanently, but that temporarily he might have had some problems, but he's fine. He'll be back on his feet. They'll show him at a friendly press conference the next day. He'll be joking, laughing, talking off a teleprompter. He may even, he may even offer to do a few push-ups. It will not matter. So I'll give you one more very brief reference to a televised debate, and that's, of course, the first one, first televised debate. We have 1960, Richard Nixon against John Kennedy. So what happened there? You had John Kennedy, who was this somewhat still unknown, raw, younger senator from Massachusetts, Richard Nixon, who had been in the thick of politics, who had been Eisenhower's vice president, a known commodity, Richard Nixon was much more up on policy. People that listened to the debate on radio said Nixon won the debate. He just seemed sharper. His answers were fuller. He seemed to have a grasp of foreign policy that the young Kennedy did not. So why is the debate remembered as far as Kennedy having one? Appearance. He seemed vigorous, right? We were to find out later the guy was not healthy at all, but he seemed vigorous. He came across on TV as uh, robust, energetic, younger, full energy. Nixon, who had, ironically, suffered from the flu just before the televised debate, looked pale, drawn. He had shadow, dark shadows under his eyes. He looked sinister. People said he looked sinister. So, but again, known commodities. This isn't the first televised debate. Each candidate has a team of makeup artists to make them look as good as possible. So with the exception of Al Gore wearing way too much orange pancake makeup in his televised debate, they're both known commodities. We know what they look like. We're not listening to this on the radio. This isn't the first televised debate. So will it matter? I posed that before. You know my position by now. The televised debate, the first one where the Trump team is hoping for an absolute evisceration, a knockout of Joe Biden, will not happen. The televised debate will not matter, which is suffice to say, if it matters at all, it will be very little. It will change very few minds and hearts. The five reasons I gave you, 
plus the five debates, add them up, the result is clear. The Trump team's putting all their chips, they're all in on the televised debate. Folks, it's not going to matter. But Greg, what if Joe Biden is so incapacitated, he's so feeble, he really is suffering from dementia, or he is really having such cognitive problems that he just can't handle a televised debate? What about that, Greg? You ask. Answer simple. If you're his campaign manager, you just deep six. You reject the debates. You say, you know what? We changed our mind. We're winning in the polls. The American public has spoken. We don't need televised debate. We don't need to listen to, in their words, I'm sure, they'll say, we don't need to listen to Donald Trump's lies. We don't want to give him a televised national forum against our candidate to spin more lies. Forget it. You know him. You know our candidate. The choice is clear. Vote Biden. That's how they'll handle it. So if he's so incapacitated that truly it's going to turn into a nightmare for Biden and it's going to be the dream debate for the Trump team, the Biden team will simply not debate. So either way, I come back to my point. The conservatives are, are popping the popcorn and they just can't wait to the televised debate. My bad news is it won't matter either way. Adiós. Hasta luego.